Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Micah 5.2 But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is the ruler in Israel. These are just two of the two of the prophecies that were foretelling the first coming of Jesus hundreds of years before he actually came to earth. And if you missed it, please go back and listen to Pastor Mike's message last week. He covered a lot of ground with the scriptures that foretold Jesus' coming, what we celebrate right now in December is him coming and being our Savior. And those are just two of the scriptures, but again, go back and listen to Pastor Mike's message. Um, It's just really, really intriguing. Sometimes we read the Bible as a whole, and we're so lucky to have it in this form. My Leviticus sometimes falls out, (laughs) and I've taped it many times, but um, we're so lucky to have a Bible like this, but we forget that believers before us didn't have it all put together nicely like this. And, um, but they did have, they did have the law. They did have those prophecies that the Jewish people would have been studying and knowing and that pointed to the coming of this Jesus. And at Christmas, we celebrate his birth. And at Easter, we celebrate the cross of Calvary. You know, it was one thing to come and live, but he also had to die. And so for us as Christians, Christmas is just a prelude to Easter. And in any church, any Protestant church, we celebrate Christmas and Easter. But what I was struck with as I've been celebrating Christmas and the first coming of Jesus is that sometimes we forget to tell the rest of the story. Sometimes we forget to actually look at what unfolds towards the end of the scripture. And what that story is, is not only were scriptures pointing to the first coming of Jesus, but interwoven within the word of God are prophecies pointing to the second coming of Jesus. And... I want to look at both of those things this morning and compare those things. And we're going to start by reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 6 and 7. I have a few scriptures, and these few scriptures are not by any means an extensive uh, list of scriptures that point to the second coming of Jesus Christ. But I wanted to pick out some of my favorites. (laughs) And so that's what you're seeing. But this is by no means um, a full list. So one of my favorites, talking about the second coming of Jesus, is in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God, And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. 
A lot of Christians kind of use this verse to justify the rapture. That is um, an event where we believe the church, those who believe in Jesus Christ and have accepted him, will indeed be caught up in the air to meet Jesus and live with him forever. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. And I know I'm going to be you know, kind of jumping around this morning, so if you want to jot and turn or just jot and turn to them later, that's fine. But Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. I like this scripture because it says, yes, Jesus came once and he had to bear our sin, but this time he's coming to reign. He's coming to bring salvation, eternal salvation to all those who believe. Another one that I'm going to mention that I don't think is up here is Revelation 1.7. Look, he is coming with a cloud, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the people will mourn because of him. So shall it be. It then again references Jesus coming in the clouds. You know, at Christmas we celebrate him coming in the manger. He took off his royal crown in heaven and all the glory that he had next to the right hand of the Father. And he came to us in the form of an infant and a baby. So helpless, really, when you think of it, the way he came to earth. And this time he's going to come a second time. And he's coming for his church. But this time he's not going to come as a baby. He's going to come as a king. And he's going to come from heaven in the clouds with a trumpet, and it says that every eye will see him. I love that. I love that. Every eye will see him. No matter how hard you're running from him, you're going to see him that day. Those who have even died before us, (laughs) they're going to see him that day. I love that. And again, sometimes I think we forget to talk about this as a church. We forget to say, isn't this what we're living for? The moment that we get to see Christ, whether that's actually dying of old age, Lord willing, that'd be wonderful, right? Peacefully in your sleep. (laughs) Or, heaven forbid, an accident occurs. Or what if we're the lucky ones? I think it's lucky. I think it's wonderful if I'm part of the generation that just gets to be caught up in the clouds with Jesus. Amen. I mean, what a way to go. You know, here I am, Lord. I'm ready. The point is all of us are going to die or get caught up with the Lord. And sometimes we forget to talk about What indeed we do celebrate at Christmas, but also what we should be celebrating at Christmas is the fact that this Messiah who was born in a manger is coming again. It's exciting. Um, We're going to look to see where we're at here in where we are right now in kind of a biblical timeline. And I have an image up there. And the point of this is just to really look at, okay, 
God created man. And then we have the period of the law and the prophets and the judges. Then we get to the place where finally Jesus comes as a babe in a manger. He walks out his ministry. He dies on the cross. You see the cross there. Some of these dates are approximate, by the way. But I just wanted to give you an image of the timeline. So you see the cross there, and that's when Jesus came to earth, walked out his ministry. And then when he died, and he ascended back into heaven, we know the events of the Pentecost, where he sent the Holy Spirit. So he's in heaven. He sends the Holy Spirit to his believers on the day of Pentecost. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, and that launches what we call the church age. And we are living in the church age. It's, just, it's a term we use to describe the period in which we're living. The period in which we are living is from the time Paul and the church birthed in Acts to where we are right now to where we're going is that second coming of Jesus. So the church age goes from Paul, first church believers filled with the Holy Spirit, all the way to the second coming of Jesus Christ. We're the church, hence the church age. We're supposed to be carrying out the mission of Jesus Christ while he indeed is in heaven and sent the Holy Spirit for us to do that. So here we are in the church age, and sometimes, again, like, I don't know, but we forget to talk about the fact, like, it's as though we sometimes forget that this church age is going to go on forever. Like, they'll just forever be believers on earth, just, like, going to church and, you know, um, sharing the gospel, and it's just going to go on, like, forever. And it's like, no, like, this is just a period of time in eternity, and we're part of it, but it's going to end. I mean, in a good way for us, but the church age is going to end when Jesus Christ comes back. And so when we place ourselves in this um, unfolding story of God, we can just see how significant we are as a church. You know that we are here positioned during this period of time, and when you put it in a timeline like that, it's easy for me to say, oh yeah, that isn't forever, you know? Um, I don't know how long the church age is going to go. I mean, no one really, really knows. But we're about 2,000, a little shy of 2,000 years after Jesus was on earth. How long is that going to go on? I don't know for sure. But we're going to look at some scriptures to point to some signs that would clue the fact that we're getting closer to his return. You know, most of us know the gist of the Christmas story. Jesus came to a virgin Mary in Bethlehem. There was no room for the, in the inn. And so there Jesus was, born in a barn. And there are two groups of people that come to worship him. And I want to look at one of those groups this morning. And then learn from them as we wait for our king to come again. What did they do that we could do today as we wait for the second coming of Jesus Christ? We're going to look at the Magi. So if you will turn with me to Matthew chapter 2.
we're going to start right away in the first part of Matthew chapter 2. The Magi have always been very fascinating to me. I don't know what it is about these kind of magical kings that you see in the in the nativity store, you know, usually if you have one of those nativities, which I don't have yet, but I really want for my home, you know, you have Mary and Jesus and the baby, usually you got the angel nailed to the top, and you got, <laughs> I know, and we pretend he's floating, and then you have the cows and the sheep over here, and then you have usually the shepherds with their staffs, and then you have these, these really decorated wise men and magi and I've always been real fascinated with them and their, their story, and um, there's a lot to learn about them and through them and what we can glean from them, but we're going to take a look at their story today. So let's start with first one. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is this one who has been born King of the Jews? Notice they're looking for the King of the Jews. That, that, that right there gives me um, a sign that they weren't just magicians following stars, but they had been giving a little bit of truth, a little bit of um, background of who this God was they were coming to see. But anyways, they say, who, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. Well, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared to them. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw a child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened up their treasures, presented him with gifts of gold, incense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So this is the story of the Magi. And they were astrologers, and... They are Middle Eastern men who have a real uh, ancient uh, traveling um, history. And we see these magi and wise men mentioned in the book of Daniel. And in Daniel, uh, if you recall, Daniel is a godly man he is in a place of exile with the Jews at that time under King Nebuchadnezzar. And he's a godly man under King Nebuchadnezzar. And the king, I mean, this king is probably a little bit what we'd say insane. 
But <laughs> um, he's having, you know, dreams, and he's really dictatorship style. He makes a statue, wants everyone to worship him. And um, Daniel's not going to do it. Um, and so he sticks to his Jewish upbringing. He sticks to worshiping the one true God. But in that, he's found immense favor with King Nebuchadnezzar. And actually, Daniel is put in charge of the same word that we see with Jesus. We see in Daniel, he's put in charge of these wise men, or magi. And so the king was calling all of these dream interpreters to him. And it actually ends up being Daniel that can interpret his dream. But because of that, he is actually in charge of this group of people. And we know it was for a considerable amount of time because the Jews were in exile for a considerable amount of time. So we know that this group of wise men were really exposed to the one true God, exposed to the teaching of what Daniel would have exposed them to under his leadership. And from generation to generation, that was interwoven into their into their worship of the, you know, the stars and the planets and uh, magic, they also had this understanding that there was a God that Daniel served that was powerful. Daniel was able to interpret dreams. Um, and so they knew of this God. They knew of this coming king of the Jews. And so here we have them about 600-ish years later from Daniel to Jesus in the manger, and this group of people come with this mixed background of religion, and they come to worship Jesus. And I think, I I actually didn't read it, but it is in Daniel 2.48 that he said um, he made, he, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. So we see that. So we see this group of people, and they're coming to worship Jesus. And I just wanted to see, I wanted to look at their story, and there were three things that really jumped out at me as I looked at their story. As we are in the place of waiting for Jesus to come again. Don't be exactly like the wise men and start um, worshiping the stars, but do do a few things that the wise men did. And one of those things, as we wait for the Messiah to come again, one of those lessons that I, I saw and I, and I admired was their ability to prioritize worship. You know, they came to worship. That was one of the first things that says, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We have come to worship him. And I just love that picture of them bowing before him and presenting their gifts to him and honoring him. And as we wait for Jesus to come back again, worship him. How are we going to recognize and know Jesus when he comes again? Well, everyone will. But how are we going to be ready 
for Jesus to come back again if we are not making worship a priority. You know, spending time in our word, praising him, praying to him, um, giving him our gifts of time, our gifts of sacrifice, uh, laying our idols down at his feet. Prioritize worship. It's how we wait for his second coming. Don't be caught up in the culture of busyness, the culture of everything else, without making Jesus a priority. The next thing that really stuck out to me as well that we can learn from the Magi is perseverance. Stay the course. I don't know if you've caught it while we were reading, but... I'm guilty of this as many other, like, children's past. I don't know what I am here, but when I'm working with the children, I tend to do children's pastor ministry, and we do a program, and usually in the Christmas program, there's shepherds that come to the baby Jesus, and then there's wise men that come to the Jesus. But really what should happen between those two group of people is, like, maybe a narrator that goes two years later, <laughs> because actually, um, when we read the scripture, the wise men actually don't come to Jesus until he's a child. He's a child there, and it's not in the barn. They said in a house. So Mary and Joseph have moved to a house. They have a young child, and it's probably Jesus is maybe a lot, say, around two years old, when the Magi come. So they actually don't come to the baby that the shepherds did. The shepherds were a lot closer. They were tending the sheep and the little lambs, actually, that would be slaughtered for sacrifice. That's another message. But anyway, so these Magi, they come, and they, they are here, and they worship the child. And so their journey was a lot longer than the shepherds. They traveled for a much greater distance than the shepherds. And when they came, naturally these magi would have come to the capital city of Jerusalem to find the king of the Jews. So they'd go to Jerusalem, they're met with this really kind of um, frenzied king, Herod, and King Herod kind of lies to him, says he's going to go and worship this king, but Herod is very angry that someone would ever um, even attempt to override his reign. And so uh, they come to Jerusalem, and they could have really questioned things. You know, they could have came to Herod and maybe gotten cold feet. They could have questioned the star that they were following, you know, day after day, and um, decided that maybe this journey wasn't worth it. Maybe they were confused. Maybe this star was just a planet after all and nothing special. But they didn't. They continued. They continued until they found the house, till they found Mary and Joseph. They persevered through their travels. And in the same way, we are called right now in the church age, as we anticipate the second coming, to stay the course, to persevere to continue walking forward in our faith. And you could read the whole 
the whole book of Jude, but I'm just going to read Jude, verse 20, right now. It says, But you, dear friends, build yourself up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. We're in the waiting right now. We're in the in-between. And as we wait, keep the faith. Encourage one another. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Persevere. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Hebrews chapter 3, 13 and 14 says, But exhort one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the assurance we first had. Again, there's Paul saying, hold firm till the end. You know, a lot of times in our culture, we like instant gratification. I'm guilty as anyone else. You know, it's like, isn't it done? You know, you wait in Subway for like five minutes, and you're like, ah! You know, and it's just like, that's the, that's the culture we live in. <laughs> and, um, and there is an element to our faith that requires perseverance. And that is something to just really think on as we wait for Jesus to come again. It's this perseverance in our faith, not willing to waver, not willing to compromise, but stay the course that we are set out to take. The third, the third piece to the Magi that really stuck out to me, and maybe one of the biggest things as I was studying them, is look for the signs. This is something that is just so fascinating by the Magi's story is the fact that, okay, this star, and some scientists have explained that, well, it could have been this planet, this planet, this planet lined up, but that would only, that would only happen scientifically for like a day. Um, you know, so scientifically you could maybe explain how this could actually be a star or a planet that we have today. Um, but you know, the more I read about it, I just wonder, was this just, was this just a star, a bright light that Jesus put for the wise men? More of a supernatural sign to them. Yes, they did indeed see it. But what's so fascinating about their story is the fact that, one, it was only visible to them, or two, it was visible, but no one else cared. Now, we don't know, according to Scripture, which one of those is, there's just not enough there to know for certain whether it was just visible to the wise men or two, if it was there and everyone could see it, but only the wise men realized it was there. I don't know. But all I know is that they have this star, and it's just like God to speak to us through things that we're intrigued with. You know what I mean? Like, um, people encounter Jesus in so many different ways, but a lot of times it's like 
through something that you're already kind of intrigued with. And it's just like him to use these wise men and give them the star because these these men just studied the skies. Like, that's what they did. I don't know, but it's kind of like one of those things. Like, now, if God had, like, an extra star up there that was really bright, I'll be honest, I wouldn't know. Like, I don't look at the stars. It doesn't, I mean, I don't even know. Ethan, on the other hand, you know, he might be out there and be like, bam, there's a star. Casey, hello. Because he does. He likes to look at the stars. But I don't. I, I'm, oh, yeah, there's stars. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know if there was a bright star in the sky tonight that wasn't there yesterday. Um, But anyway, we can look at them and say, at least they were looking and they were willing to travel. You know, what also just jumps out to me is there, you know, when King Herod called in the people, he called in uh, Jewish scholars. These people would have known the scripture, and they even quoted it. They said, oh, well, yeah, he'd be in Bethlehem because they knew that. Well, if they know the king of the Jews is going to be born in Bethlehem, why did they go looking for him? Why aren't there a bunch of, you know, Pharisees coming to, (laughs) why aren't the religious rulers coming to Bethlehem to look for this king? They did it. They did it. They were too caught up in their scholarly study that they missed the Messiah being born right near them. And that is something that, you know, I don't want us to do. You know, when we're waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ, we shouldn't be just so caught up in our studying and our here and now and the news and our lives that we miss. We miss what's going on. And... um. God gave us so much more than the stars. He gave us the word of God. And in the word of God, there is a lot. I mean, I wish there was more, and it'd give us a little more dates, but there is a lot of scripture right here before us about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we can either study it, or we can ignore it. And I think that like the Magi, We should be earnest and looking for the signs of the coming of Jesus. So we're going to go to a few scriptures again. Matthew chapter 24. Now, Matthew chapter 24, the heading in my Bible says the signs of the end of the age. So read the whole chapter. I mean, it's a good chapter to read. I'm not going to read the whole chapter today because of time, but I am going to read a few verses from it. So Matthew chapter 24, verse 4. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nations will rise against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are just the beginning of the birth pains. Here's a few things that Jesus describes would happen in the end times before he comes back. A few things of those, you know, wars and rumors of wars. 
um, kingdom against kingdoms, earthquakes, natural disasters seem to be rising. Those are some of the signs. Um, again, I would, you know, there's so many, but I would go to Second Timothy. If you want to write Second Timothy, I would read Second Timothy chapter three and four, the whole chapters, if you're going to dig a little further into this. Um, but Second Timothy, let me turn there. Second Timothy, I'm going to read the first part of chapter 3. It says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, and conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And that sounds just kind of disgusting, doesn't it? Um, But it's really everything described in that paragraph is what I would describe when the lack of Jesus' love. I mean, at its sinful core, without Jesus, what are we? We're prideful, boastful. We don't obey our parents. That has to be taught. (laughs) As a mom of young children, I am realizing that. That is not natural to just be a lover of God and a lover of your parents. And, you know, you have to teach these things. Without Jesus Christ, that is what we are. And these things just kind of abound in the end end times. 2 Timothy, we're going to stay in 2 Timothy, but um, go over to chapter 4. And starting in chapter 4 there, just in the next page, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in the view of his appearing in his kingdom, I will give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, correct, rebuke, and encourage with patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, there will gather around them a great number of teachers that will say what their itching ears want to hear. Now, if there is one sign, if you will, that I'm following that would point to the fact that we're getting closer to Jesus' return. It's the fact that truth is being twisted. What was wrong, quote-unquote, according to the word of God, that we could all agree upon even 50 years ago, is now all of a sudden not. This is not, not okay to say that this is true. And... There's just more and more and more unraveling of even Christian leaders, Christian pastors even, if you will, that are just creating a gospel that people want to hear. You know, a more politically correct gospel. It's like they're doing exactly this. They are, they are, they're putting aside the sound doctrine to come to a place where They're creating something that their itching ears want to hear. We love the gospel of love and forgiveness, and that's truth, but we 
don't want to talk about Jesus' blood and his wrath and hell and the consequences of sin because that's too harsh. So there's a twisting, and it, it doesn't take you long to realize this, especially if your children are out in the world and coming back into your home hearing these things. There's a twisting of the word of God to itch ears. And this is one of those signs that I can see so clearly right now. Now, what does that mean? I don't know how long that's going to go. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, how many babies are we going to kill? How evil and dark and destructive will it get before Jesus comes in the clouds for us? I don't know. And the Bible actually warns us not to date it. You know, don't trust anyone says that they know that he's coming back on May 22nd because they just are not going to know the day or the hour. But I know in my spirit that I can say that I'm in the church age, that there's some of these signs that are pointing to his second coming, and I want to be ready. I want to be ready and to be found ready. And I hope the church is in that place, not just us, but the global church, that we're in a place where we're ready, we're excited, We're anticipating the second coming of Jesus. I hope we can be in a place this Christmas where we look to the manger and realize that we can celebrate what has come, but we're celebrating what is to come. And what is to come is Jesus for us. And I think sometimes because of the events of the end times, we can get kind of scared and shy away from it. But there's nothing to be scared of when you are the bride of Christ. Amen? There's nothing to fear when you are the apple of his eye. Will we be persecuted? Perhaps. Will we go through trials? Perhaps. Yes. But we have the end goal and we know how the story ends. (sighs) Isn't that exciting? It's exciting. And so this year, you know, as we're celebrating Jesus coming to earth, it's wonderful. He had to come. He had to die. But that's not where the story ends. This church age doesn't go on forever. We have the hope of glory in us, and we have an eternal home in heaven if we put our trust in him. And that's what we get to celebrate Christmas. We get to celebrate what was, but what is yet to come. And that's Jesus. And, you know, it's one of those promises. It's one of those things we can, we can get so caught up in our day-to-day life that we forget this. We forget that Jesus, if it is his will, would come tomorrow. Would we be ready? And by what? What I say, would we be ready? Have you forgiven? Christ so forgave us on the cross so that we could forgive others. Have you forgiven? Some of you might be here so bitter and angry towards someone. They wronged you in a terrible way. And it's not right. It's not right. But Jesus calls us to forgive us. 
forgive them. He calls us to forgive because he forgave you. While we were all sinners, Jesus died for us. While we were all sinners, he died for us. Who are you going to forgive this Christmas? Have you accepted his salvation? You know, the religious leaders of that time, they were caught up just studying the law. They were really holy and, you know, all in their garments of honor. But Jesus was born, the Messiah was born in Bethlehem, and we have shepherds and wise men to come worship them. But the, the religious leaders of the times are the ones that persecuted him in the long run. And so I urge you, have you maybe looked beyond your religious mind and maybe what you know of God and let him penetrate your heart, chosen to follow him so that you know without a shadow of a doubt that when Jesus comes in the clouds with the sound of the trumpet, Lord willing, if it's while I'm living, we're going to be ready. We know him for certain. That is my prayer this Christmas season is that every single one of you and my friends and my family, that as they celebrate the manger, they anticipate the second coming. And they know, without a shadow of a doubt, that they know Jesus themselves. And so as you go to your friends and your family and the gatherings and all the concerts and everything we do, Will you ask yourself that question? Are you ready for Jesus to come again? And if you're not, and you don't know this morning, you're sitting there and your wheels are just turning, you're like, I really don't know. I have no idea. You know, today you could know. You could put your trust in him. This morning you could say, Jesus, I believe the Bible. I believe that you came as a baby. I believe that you died for my sins, and I want to follow you all the days of my life. Just like the disciples responded, just like the church in Acts, you know, Jesus went out in ministry, and people followed, and they believed, and they were baptized. You too, us in the church age, that's our commission. Let's do that. But respond this morning to his love. Because this is the last scripture I'm going to read in closing. This is what we get to look forward to. This is what, this is what, I mean, this is the end all, I guess you could say, is in Revelation chapter 21. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. And be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the older things have been passed away. We, church, get to live with God forever in his glory. And that is our certain hope this Christmas season. And like my little boy said the other night, he goes, so you mean there's going to be no more tummy aches? And I said, no. It's going to be so good. 
It's going to be so, so good. The other day he asked, is Jesus coming today? And I said, no, I don't know, honey, but be ready if he does. (laughs) That's our hope. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for coming as a baby. And right now, here today, Lord, if there is anyone here that does not know you, for sure, for certain, has never said, Jesus, I want to follow you forever. Forgive me, I am a sinner. I want to follow you. Lord, if there is anyone, even with your eyes closed right now, if there is anyone here, who wants to accept Jesus this morning, who has never experienced his love and forgiveness in the way I've spoke of this morning, would you just raise your hand towards me so I could see? While everyone else has eyes closed, is there anyone this morning that wants to say, Jesus, I love you and I want to follow you. I want to be ready for you when you come. You can just give a little hand raise to me. Good. You know, you might have known him. You'd even maybe even call yourself a Christian, perhaps. But maybe you've never said, Jesus, I commit to you. I love you. I'm going to serve you. One, one more raise of hand. Okay. All right, I'm going to pray, and I want you to repeat this after me in your head, maybe even quietly maybe in a whisper, say, Jesus, I love you. Forgive me of my sins. I accept you in my life. I want to follow you forever. And I'm going to be ready for you when you come again. And for the rest of us who have done that before, May we be even more alert and more ready and more in love with this Jesus that came at Christmas so that we too can stand in the glory, in his blessing, in his promise, that we can celebrate this time of year, God, what we have yet to come, and that is to live with you forever. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.